You're very welcome along. It is the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on a bank holiday weekend, Saturday morning, and fresh from Bloom and Blooming Thank is Pora Corkin. Good, Good morning, morning Deirdre. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you this morning? <laughs> great, great. You've had a, a very busy week so far and an even busier weekend on the cards. Yeah, the Bloom is looking fantastic. I was there all day Thursday, um, looking really, really well, I have to say. Uh, 25 gardens in total this year. Um, some really interesting gardens and from very large gardens to medium size right down to small gardens. Uh, but what I thought was interesting this year, the um, I was saying to you earlier that mm. one of the kind of key concepts running through it is making the garden more functional. So they have a kind of a, a word for this called form after function. And it's it's where the designers are looking at the functionality of a garden, making a garden fit for purpose. So how we use it really. How we use it and, and getting to understand the lifestyle, particularly the customer's lifestyle or the client's lifestyle and trying to match the garden to fit that. So we're seeing quite a lot of outdoor cooking areas. One garden has a cantilever roof. So oh. when it rains or when the wind comes, the garden closes over and or parts of the garden close over and you can use that area for sitting or for cooking or whatever. So I thought that was a quite a neat... Okay, uh, so you can be outside but not quite outside. Well, that's it because, you know, our climate, obviously we get so much wind yeah. and rain, but we don't get the severity of coldness, generally speaking. You know, the, we don't get that extreme in coldness. So the garden can be used if we can keep, keep the wind and the wetness um, from the areas that we want to enjoy in the garden. So there's a real sense this year of making the gardens very functional. So, for example, a couple of the gardens have sunken areas and in those areas they've put in the seating so you know you're down maybe so you three or four down, feet right. you step down so you're out of the wind mm. and if the roof is there obviously you're out of the, the rain as well um, also a couple of nice areas for, for cooking large barbecues built in barbecues so they're putting a bit of thought into how we treat outdoor cooking areas in the garden as well mm. um, now there's still a huge emphasis on plants and the, and the planting of plants and everything, of course, is flowering. And um, again, a huge uh, fallback to uh, native cottage garden plants. So lots of foxgloves, lots of lupins, uh, poppies in flower, lavender, of course, lots of lavender. So they're using uh, the palette of plants are very easy to grow plants, but also many that are obviously they're in full bloom at mm. the moment, but quite a lot going back to kind of um, cottage garden type themes. So the lupus, delphiniums. And we're talking obviously about a lot of colour there as well. Huge amount of colour. And of course, you know, the the plants are timed to peak at this time of year. So Mm. each of the gardens, they're absolutely spectacular. Wisteria in flower, the beautiful laburnums, which are flowering in gardens. Can really see that over the last week. They're in bloom, uh, at bloom and bloom. Uh, Rhododendrons in flower, azaleas in flower. So lots of plants in full colour. But I think the, the, the designers this year have picked a palette of plants that are very accessible first of all for visitors coming so they're available in garden centres right throughout the country and they tend to be very easy to grow plants as well right. there wasn't anything that I saw there that I said well that's you that's know, out just of place beyond so, yeah, the yeah. reach yeah. so you know huge huge um, the other thing I thought was interesting they're using a lot of colour and not just colour from flowers but also paint So painting up structures, so painting up walls, painting up um, garden structures, timber, uh, seating, um, timber arches, metal arches. So the use of paint and of course, you know, paint has been developed over the last couple of years to certainly the outdoor range of paints with lovely vibrant colours. You know, the Newfoundland colours, those kind of, the duck egg 
blue and lovely shades of greens and purples. So the use of paint, I thought, was quite clever in through the, the mixture of planting and the other features so within the garden So it kind of enhances well. rather than just having a grey old wall that has a bit of plaster on it, it or whatever it is. Exactly, you yeah. know, so, so very interesting. Um, the garden that won the overall award in large garden category was designed by Jane McCorkrell and Jane would be um, a gold medal winner at, at Bloom every year, I think. Um, but certainly her garden this year, she it was very much inspired by the Celtic theme. Right. So she's used a lot of boxwood plantings, a lot of foxgloves, a lot of plants that we'd see growing in hedgerows. Uh, so kind of native approach, native really. Type, yeah, native type of plants, not... not um, not necessarily Irish mm. origin, but but certainly plants you would see growing in lots of use of grasses, right? Um, and but also done in a very contemporary way, in a very modern way. So the use of water, the use of stepping stones, the use of sculptures. She's a lovely sculpture, red lady sitting with her toe in. dipped in the water. Oh, I like it. You know, yeah. so it very tastefully done, but also the use of um, plants that we would associate, I suppose, with the Irish landscape and with Celtic design in okay. particular. And uh, so that was quite a nice garden. Um, the gold garden I thought was quite good. There's a, a they won gold if memory serves me right. Um, and it's simply called garden. What I call a slum, I call home. And I thought they had used um, they have a building, um, kind of a, a ramshackle timber building, but nicely planted with vertical planting. So they've got vegetable plants growing up, up. the wall inserted into boxes you know just something novel something yes. different again to get people thinking about growing plants in a slightly different way so that, that was quite unusual and that but you don't always have to have I suppose for things like that a large area no, that you, you, you know if you have even if you have a small space Absolutely. you can create a wall effect rather than having it a blanket effect exactly yeah. and that's exactly how they, they had grown the plants in boxes and then literally screw the boxes to the wall and and had about maybe eight or ten varieties of vegetables growing out of the container. So I thought that was quite novel. I also went to see Michael Dee's garden. Yes. Which is right beside the show gardens and it's well worth a visit if you particularly if you're interested in bees, in veg growing vegetables. His strawberries were in full flower. Absolutely blooming. Did you taste one? No, well (laughs) it was only the flowers. Is that against the law? It it was only flowers that were there but but very, very neat as a pin as you'd expect. Um, Around the walls it's a it's a walled garden, so he's got pears and apple trees growing in a spalier or fan-shaped. You know, if you so, if you want to see how to grow the perfect pear against a wall or an apple, the, then Michael D's garden is certainly worth a visit. And it's open to the public; you can just pop in and walk around. Um, he'd lots of borage sown from seed for the bees. Mm-hmm. Be- clusters of it and phacelia. Um so a nice fruit garden again it's right beside the show gardens but so it was certainly it's a bloom is certainly blooming this year it's um, lots to do and of course the food part is so big, it's as, big well. as well yes. yeah. Yeah. so I'm going to be there actually today later on today giving a talk around um, towards evening around 4 o'clock and I'll be there tomorrow we're giving three talks tomorrow just in talking to people about the best plants to use for summer colour Um I'm going to be in the main auditorium right in the plant pavilion. So if people are knocking around later on today or tomorrow, and Peter's up there as well, Peter from Hawkins, so he's actually given two talks today and one tomorrow. Um, and again, we're just going to talk to people about the best plants to grow for colour for this summer, show them how to plant them up, do a little bit on window boxes and containers, and uh, just try to inspire people to do, bring okay, a bit of bloom well, back into their Okay, well I'd say people going to bloom will be fully inspired between uh, the talks and obviously little ideas that uh, they can get a sense from you know something different to do from the yeah, show. Yeah, you gardens. don't need to be a gardener. I mean, mm. Bloom is Bloom is really a great it's family a, yeah. day out, and and it's probably more about food and eating than it is about gardening per se. And there's lots to do for the kids. Kids go free, 
So if you are going up to Bloom, the kids get in free. Um, I think tickets are priced around between 14 and 20 euros, mm-hmm. depending on, so around the 20 euro mark. But it's certainly a great family day. Go early if you can. Because yeah, and knock value out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it does sometimes take a while to get around, Eric. Well, if the crowd is very it big, it does. So yeah. get in as early yeah. as possible and make, and you'll spend certainly three or four hours comfortably at least walking around Bloom. So yeah. it's well worth a visit, and it runs right up until Bank Holiday Monday. Monday. Yeah, so that's Bloom in the Park. Okay, so in full swing at the moment. And lots of, of um, demos. Um, Catherine Fulvo is there and Nevin Maguire, the lads from the Happy Pair are there as well, giving talks right through the right through the, the five days talks are going on. So you can um, be inspired for the planting you sure and you can. can have a little taste of what's going on yeah, as well. Yeah, and do visit us in the in the main planetarium if you're, if you're around, particularly this afternoon and, and tomorrow. Pete and I will be there. Fantastic. Now, for anybody who's not getting as far as me, <laughs> there are still... <laughs> Jobs, Lots of things that we can be at ourselves in our own gardens Absolutely. at the moment. Yeah, so. I'm just thinking about as I was looking at, at Michael D's uh, strawberries. I thought that look at this is the time of year that people, if they're if you haven't planted your strawberries, certainly this is the time to start planting them in containers, window boxes. If you want some fruit for this July, and um, so the, the planting of fruit can certainly go on. And really, May I suppose has been, has been a very damn cold. Yeah, a little bit of a disappointing month, sure I think has. it's fair it, to say. It, Particularly if you are somebody who was hoping to get gardening stuff done. That it, it yeah, just, it, has yeah. Been, it has been difficult. Um, having said that, the soil conditions are perfect for right. planting. So from a planting perspective, it's certainly ideal conditions. We are promised milder weather as we go in from Wednesday through till uh, next weekend. It's going to get warmer and milder. So the, the planting and, and the conditions for planting are going to be perfect. I do notice a lot of, and I notice a lot of questions in on May, Mare's tail, right. which has popped itself um, above the ground in the last uh, two weeks. So mare's tail is certainly um, a problem in many gardens at the moment. It is a perennial weed. It resembles a small conifer, a little kind of a fern or conifer growing about six inches in height. And um, you'll find that traditional weed killers, um, like the common Roundup, or mm. don't are not effective on them. But there is a product called Neerdorf. It's a German product. Neerdorf, it's a um, sold in a, a green container. That's very effective on mare's tail, and that can be applied at this time of year, particularly in dry weather. So if we get a couple of hours of dry weather, look for that. So treat the mare's tail now, and and use that mare, that Neerdorf product. Just mix it with water, simply apply it onto the foliage, and it should kill the mare's tail within a couple of of days. Um, and in, ge- in general, we're seeing a lot of weed activity around. You know, and I suppose people have me now gardening, so there's lots of weeds and gravels and beds. So this weekend really is the time to take control of those and hold them out and tidy up the garden. Lawns are also the, the weather conditions mm. at the moment are perfect for seeding new lawns. So if you're thinking about putting in a lawn over for, for you know, to have a really good lawn by late summer, then over the next couple of weeks you should be considering tilling the soil, killing off any weeds that might be there, tilling the soil, put in a pre-seeding fertiliser and then put down some lawn seed because it'll germinate very, very rapidly at this time of year. Or if you've bare patches, say, after treating moss mm. or you want to just repatch an area, then the sort of weather conditions are ideal at the moment for reseeding. Um, or if you want to put down things like wild meadow f- grass, you know, wild meadow flowers, this is a really good time for, for germinating seed. So grass seed or wild flower seed will germinate very rapidly at this time of year. It's also because May has been so cold, it's a good time to refeed the lawn as well, to apply a second fertiliser now. Um, so get out and mow the grass if you can over the weekend in dry weather, but also apply 
uh, a straight feed so something like park and fairway would be very good it just feeds the greens the lawn without forcing growth there's no weed killer or moss killer mm. in it it just gives just a nice good. green colour and firms it up well um, and lawns could do with that now we're into hanging basket time now I'd still mm. hold back on putting them out the, the nights are very cold um, so hold back on on putting them out into their final position just yet but certainly the planting up of hanging baskets and it's something I'm covering in bloom over the weekend showing people how to plant up baskets and the best plants to use but certainly this is the time of year for planting up hanging baskets and getting them started pinch back those young stems after planting to get them to thicken out and bush out if you've planted your baskets the last couple of weeks certainly continue to feed them so feeding them every two weeks at this time of year Mm. with a high potash feed like a tomato fertilizer or um, any of the liquids the high potash liquid fertilizer so continue to feed but don't just hang them up just yet maybe even somewhere outside sheltered and sunny out of the wind um, and out of the cooler temperatures if possible um, the other key thing to do is to plant up tomatoes so if you've, again if you've got your greenhouse or tunnel plant in a few tomatoes and I notice the grafted varieties of tomatoes are available at the moment so these are varieties that are grafted onto a more vigorous rootstock okay. and typically in the garden centre they'll be taller they'll be standing probably nearly a foot high at this time of year they're well worth growing they're very very vigorous Right and have they started to flower already? or? Well if, if you had planted them early yes yeah. the, the first of the tomatoes will start to bloom now but, but young plants will still be just in the green stage, stage right. but if you get those grafted varieties um, they produce they grow very vigorously and produce huge vines of tomatoes particularly the cherry varieties are worth growing I mean you'll get probably 30 fruit on each vine okay. so on a on a, tri- on a plant you'll get hundreds of fruit from them so they're well look, well worth looking for, out for and things like chilies and aubergines and peppers it's a good time June Bank holiday is a good time to plant them up sweet potatoes if you want a little bit of a challenge yes a challenge big challenge yeah well sweet potatoes again uh, like a conservatory tunnel greenhouse they like a warm environment mm-hmm. um, but they're well worth growing because if you plant them in a tub very large pot uh, with a good quality compost feed them well during the summer months they'll produce full size sweet potatoes by September or October of this year and they're well worth growing they're just a novelty it's a climbing plant right. so it, it actually trails and scrambles out over the pot or you can train it up a few bamboo canes as a oh, okay. uh, yeah so it's it's you've got both the the foliage and the, the climbing effect but it, they produce lovely large sweet potatoes then by by early autumn and the last thing on my list is just if people have early carrot sown or um a bit worried about kind of pests in the garden this is perfect temperatures or we will have per- perfect temperatures this week coming for the Super Nemo's to put those on Lovely. and control the leather jackets and and vine weevil and, and um, any of the soil borne pests. The other thing to keep in mind, I did mention last week, blight will start to not yeah. you know become a problem. So again, if you get a, a window of dry weather, again, put out a, a, an application of Bordeaux mix or Promoximal just to protect your potatoes against uh, blight, blight because yeah. we are into milder temperatures next week. With, with a bit of dampness. With attached. a bit of dampness. So it's no harm just to protect them um, and uh, you know when we get a, a window of dry weather use that time to start protecting okay. the plants Lovely. so whilst I'm in bloom you can belt well, away and get all lo- of that yeah, done yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kind of just sitting back and no. saying oh, next weekend no. next weekend lots to be out there there's indeed. lots to be done in the garden yeah. and I suppose people really haven't been gardening as much through May so 
there's a few things that okay. need and, and, and hopefully attention. things do dry up I know there, there have been lots of hailstones and all that kind of yeah, thing over are. the last couple of days which and growth has been very slow it has and as, yeah. you know for the likes of the hanging baskets they get a bit of battering they do and so for, you're better off you're better off leaving them in a sheltered protected area you're, there's nothing to be gained by hanging them up and if anything the wind and the thing and just sets set them the back. back so Hold, you know, but certainly you can be planting them up and getting them started and getting them growing. I suppose that's the key thing to be doing, okay. and and feeding the plants that you do have and keep, keep the weather will turn. It will. Yes, we are very positive <laughs> on that front. Right, we're going to take a break. You can get your questions into Porrick if you have something that you'd like him to address on the program this morning. It's oh eight seven nine hundred forty one forty one if you're texting, and oh eight one eight three thousand fifty five if you're calling us. And Teresa is uh, taking calls with us this morning. Right, back after these. You're very welcome back. Loads of questions in Porek. Quite a mixture of stuff. There's a few of the regulars too, though, there as well. Uh, let's talk about trimming back. Uh, Mary asks, first of all, when can you trim back tulips and hyacinths uh, that are long gone out of bloom? And it was a common question, actually, when in, in the talks of bloom this year. People were asking about daffodils and when to cut them back. Uh, so there's a big sense of, I suppose, tidying up the garden and, mm. and cutting things back. The trick with any bulb, with any spring flowering bulb, be it daffodils, tulips, hyacinths, bluebells, you need to give them a rest period after flowering and normally we give them six weeks um, of uh, growing they actually start to grow and produce new foliage and, and photosynthesize and, and swell up the bulbs for next year so and it's a great time of year once the, the uh, bulb goes out of flower to start feeding it as well to build up the bulb for, for next season now you'll often find with tulips that they tend to be best in their first year or second year and not, not unlike a daffodil that tends to get better every year mm. Tulips have a kind of a short period of, flower, of of longevity, so they tend to be brilliant the first year and then start to slightly go down right, after that. Okay. So, really, I suppose to answer the question, once the foliage um, become goes yellow and starts to go limp, then you can cut it back and the bulb is will be formed underneath. But don't expect a huge amount of colour next year from tulips, and and you'll often find the stronger, more vigorous varieties like the red. Uh, apple dorn varieties tend to last longer. The weaker colours like uh, shades of pinks tend to fade away quickly. And there so isn't any feed you can give them or anything like that? Well, all of that will help. Right, but, yeah. but tulips tend to be short-lived. Right. That's, I suppose, yeah, the point I'm making. Okay. So it's better to plant fresh bulbs every couple of years. Don't expect miracles in other no, words. No, and the same applies to hyacinths. Whereas daffodils, you'll have them for yonks. Bluebells, you'll have them for years. Um, uh, snowdrops. All the other bulbs tend to last and, and increase in size and develop each year. But tulips and hyacinths, it's just the nature of the, of the bulb. They don't it's hard to get them back yeah, as good the second year. So to answer the question, once the, the leaves go yellow, you really just cut them back, tidy them up. Um, you can leave the bulbs there then for next year and they'll flower in the same situation. The other thing you can do at this time of year with, with spring flowering bulbs is to move them elsewhere. So if you want to dig, if they're in your way and you can ha quite happily dig them up, split them and plant them somewhere else in the garden. So it's, all, so it's a great time for moving bulbs moving them in the green as we say with the green leaves on them oh, so right. you literally just dig up the whole clump split them up and transplant them somewhere else you don't cut back the foliage you just let that die back okay. naturally. naturally so it's a good way of propagating your bulbs or moving them out of a bed that you might want to plant up with something else so it's, you're perfectly okay to do that with, with your daffodils hy your hyacinths tulips if you wish you want to move them if they're in the way okay 
Now, here's a really interesting one in relation to composting. Uh, a listener has large green slugs in their composter. They're taking over, they tell us. Okay. Uh, they're wondering what they might be because to them they're almost mutant-like. God, they sound very big. I'm, I have shades of a movie coming into my head. Are they Are they doing any harm to my compost and will it spread eggs around my garden when I use the compost? Well, isn't it great to have the, the slugs in the composter, not all around your garden eating okay. your, your rice? So right. That's one benefit. Look at the, what are they doing? The slugs are feeding on the dead and decaying matter and mm-hmm. so that's what slugs eat both healthy veg- ve- vegetation and also they're great for munching up the old dead leaves and they're actually doing a great um, they have a good function there in the composter they're turning vegetable waste into usable Organic. compost yeah. yeah absolutely so leave them alone in the container you'll find that a lot of the slug eggs will be uh, killed by the heat of the compost bin so they tend not to be a problem. And look at spreading a small bit of, of slug eggs. They, they reckon, they tell me mm. that, one of these statistics that yeah. pop up every now and again, that in the average garden, and, and here in How the west many? of Ireland, we've got bigger than average gardens, there are a population of 20,000 slugs, slugs in your garden. Per garden? Per average garden. So the four, five, ten you might see of a of a morning <laughs> just, uh, around your flower pond yes, or whatever, or in your 20, cabbage patch. Between young and, and adult slugs. So there's quite a lot of activity. Slugs in the compost bin are absolutely no harm. They're turning that vegetable okay. waste into good, usable compost. And um, so and that compost is totally usable out in the garden. So you look at, you've got plenty of slugs. Every garden has plenty okay, of slugs. So the real thing is kind of focus on the plants <laughs> that need protection. So it's those young, vulnerable seedlings, uh, vegetable plants that are just starting, dahlias, hostas. Focus on them and, you know... Okay, and, and, and any that. spreading will only be negligible because there's so many there already. Exactly, exactly. And when you spread that compost, the birds will feed on on any slug eggs that are there as well and help to control that. Oh. But 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 uh, slugs in a compost bin actually are beneficial. Are good. Yeah. Okay. My boxes plant in a pot about two foot has gone brown on one side. Why? How can I save it, Helen and Slack? Well, it's typical in 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 particularly boxwoods in containers. Remember, they're in a restricted area. Too often, particularly over the winter period, which seems like a funny thing to say, but over the winter period, they can actually dry out. Mm-hmm. And yellowing or, or browning on the outside of boxwood is a sign that the leaves have died. And if, if they're crisp to the touch, they're not necessarily going to reshoot again from those branches. So what I would do is just give it a good tidy trim, up, trim both the healthy side and the, the uh, dead side. Give it a good trim back, take it out of that pot and plant it in the garden somewhere. And you'll find that the healthy part of the... Uh, of the boxwood in time will start to grow back into where the dead branches are but I, I transplant it elsewhere and you'll often find that with boxwood in containers the, if they get dry mm. you're going to get that browning, browning. on one side yeah. and um, you know it, it really get it out of the pot now plant it into some good garden compost give it a trim all round a little bit of a liquid feed during the summer months and you'll find the healthy part will you'll encourage it Flourish. to grow back around the other side of the to get back into shape again Okay. Um, now, a question for you. Is it too late to sow trees? Where would you get a laburnum tree? Well, they're really coming into their own now. And roughly, how much does it cost, Ask Maria? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a super time for planting trees because during the winter months, all trees look the same. And trying to imagine what a laburnum looks like in November or December mm. is very difficult. Now we can see them in flower, flower yeah. and, and people are really admiring it. The, the, the problem is, of course, at this time of year, everybody wants a laburnum tree. So the garden centres tend to be so 
sold out of them um, uh, you know during the, the month of May they can be difficult to get but you can put them on order so if a particular garden centre is sold out they'll order you in it might take a couple of weeks to get it mm. but they'll get one in in terms of planting them laburnums and trees in general most trees have, all trees have come into leaf now. Some are in full flower like laburnum or uh, Crataegus Paul Scarlet or the Mountain Ash are lovely at the moment. But trees are generally grown in containers and so you can plant them 12 months of the year. But and particularly at this time of year, it's a great time for putting in trees right. and the soil conditions are just perfect. And it's great to go to your local garden centre because you can see the trees in leaf. You can see the lovely maples or the laburnum or birch with the, the leaves on them. And you, so it's easy to imagine what they're going to be like in your own garden. So so it's a super time for planting trees, but also for hedges and shrubs. And it's really, really good planting weather and planting soil conditions. So it's a great time for putting in a tree. Main thing is to prepare the soil well. Make sure that you put it down at the exact level that it's in the pot. We tend to overplant and put trees down a couple of inches deeper, thinking that we're going to secure the tree. But it actually does a lot of harm. So make sure it goes down at the same level that it's in the pot. Put a good quality compost like GrowWise uh, multi-purpose compost in when you're planting. Add some slow-release slow fertiliser in with it and stake the tree well particularly laburnums because they're in the pea family and their roots tend to... They're in the pea family? They're in the pea family. Same like as peas. Like peas on peas, peas and beans trees, your and garden bees? Yes, yeah. Really? Exactly same family, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually produce little seed heads. So, oh, yeah. And, and they're like little pods, are they? Little pods. Yeah, they form little pods, like pea pods. Um, so, but, but but there's a variety called Vossiae, Laburnum Vossiae, which is one of the varieties that, that don't produce the seed and that's generally the one we plant in the garden because the seeds are poisonous. Okay, and this might like, sound like a stupid question, but I'm going to There's ask it anyway. Well, there might be the odd one. Uh, are all laburnum yellow? Yes. Okay. Now, there, yeah, there's a, there's a variety called Laburnum cytisus, which is a which is a hybrid between the broom, the common broom that people have in their garden, mm. and Laburnum, because again, they're both in the pea family, and it's where the plant has been hybridised, and it actually produces both pink and yellow flowers. Oh, Isn't that interesting. So almost all are, are. yellow. But, but the quite. true laburnums are oh, yellow, yellow. They, they vary in shades of, of yellow. But Vossiae is probably the best variety to plant and uh, they're beautiful at the moment. They they're, they're a great way to train them. I was actually in a garden in um, Wicklow recently and they had trained the laburnum on an arch. Oh. A, a long, it was a long walk through our, the arch was probably 30 feet long. That sounds fun. And they planted laburnums on either side. So when you walk through the arch, the yellow flowers are hanging down overhead. So it's like wisteria, the wisteria climber. The big, long, long. foot-long flowers are, are actually hanging as that, you walk right. through the walkway. So it's absolutely spectacular. Because they can grow to be quite big, the laburnums. Yeah, it wouldn't be a huge tree, to yeah. be honest. It, you I know, suppose because, but when it does come into flower, there's it's, it's quite, um, I suppose, an opulent looking. It is, and it's, it's very full. Yeah. It's a very full tree. Generally, it would be classed kind of medium size, small to right. medium size. Um, so up to about 15 to maybe 18, 20 feet maximum would be the size of a laburnum. But they do have a quite a broad head. So hmm. the head alone could be anything up to 10 feet in diameter. Um, and when you're planting them, ideally you should be looking up into the flowers. So, you know, plant them on a height or in this case, the planted them over, over an archway. Arch, and so the flowers hung and down through as you walked through it. And when they planted them over the archway, uh, did they have like a tree either side of the archway to kind yes. of meet? Yeah. And the tide in the bride. Laburnum as a young plant is very flexible. You'll bend it. It's like willow. Right. So it's, it's very uh, manageable and very manoeuvrable. So you can actually twist it and work it in through a trellis work. You can actually shape it and form it if you plant it as a young plant. And that's exactly what they did. And it just spread the whole way along the 
along the walkway. Yeah, it sounds We've like always loved it. Super, yeah, super yeah. now. Really spectacular. Okay, so that's an option with your Laburnum. Yeah. Okay, Lalandii. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Good old Lalandii got burned with the frost and it's brown. Some of the green is coming back. What could we put on it to make it grow? Lalandii, well, it probably wasn't the frost that damaged it, but anyway, whatever damage it, wind will wind. damage it, will turn it brown, or if you prune them too severely, that will also brown laylands as well. Um, so really, look, it's just a matter of, of trimming it back, tidying it up. If if Laburn, or if Lelandii are pruned too severely, they won't reshoot again. So be very mindful when you are trimming them back to leave some healthy green or golden growth um, along the stems because if they're pruned too severely, they just won't reshoot again. Um, to feed it, just put on something like uh, Osmo Pro 6, which is a granulated feed. It's fine for all trees and shrubs. Or if you've got laurels that are sh- showing a bit of yellowing and we want to give them a bit of colour, put on that Pro 6 now. Perfect weather conditions. We'll get a couple of showers of rain. It'll wash it in. And particularly with the growth coming next week, it'll bring it'll the plants bring on. Back. Yeah. Okay. Um, I always trim lawn edges after mowing, but now after back surgery, I'm unable to bend to pick up the clippings. What if I just leave them? Apart from looking untidy, will it damage the grass when it starts growing again? I know. If it's just light cl- clippings that are left, um, what you generally find is you're, the next time you cut the lawn, you're going to pick it up with the lawn. Or if what I would do is edge the, the, edge the edges, mm. edge the, trim the edges first, and, and then, then cut, cut your lawn. And, and if, you've got a, if you've got a mower that sucks it up, and yeah, yeah, it'll pick up. It'll pick up those. Um, but a small bit of of um, cuttings left on the top of the, the lawn, they'll they'll rot and die back yeah. into the soil. It's not going to yeah. cause any. I know it's any just harm. a little unsightly if you like a it really can nice, be. Want it nice, nice and neat and, and tidy. <laughs> yeah, well, trim first the edges, then mow the lawn, okay. and that should pick up. 50 or 60% of it anyway. Now, will you be having any orange fizz in the garden centre soon, someone was wondering? Well, orange fizz is a variety of geranium, believe it or not. (laughs) I was going to say, what's orange fizz? (laughs) And it gets its name for the the lovely scented leaves. The smell of citrus, of lemon or Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. And um, lemon-scented geraniums are, they're not particularly spectacular in flower, Mm. but they're grown for their leaf. Uh, scent and they're particularly for good for deterring flies. flies. So oh, anything with so that it's citrusy, a bit like our it's a bit like our mint. It's like eau de, de glow mint. End, it's yeah. that got that lemony citrusy smell, and that's what people grow it for. Once you touch it, and and the smell stays for for a long time on your hands. It's actually quite it's very um, intoxicating mm. citrus smell, very fresh. So that's orange phase. They should be available at the moment, I'm sure. And certainly we had uh, lemon, we had geraniums, lemon-scented geraniums for the last number of weeks. So I'm just, the, if they're not in the garden centre, we'll certainly get them in for people anyway. Okay, we're going to take a break. But just before we do this, I don't think Porek probably has the answer to this, but we're going to throw it, throw it out to everybody else. Somebody is wondering if there's a, any coach or bus group going to bloom. They've all, this listener has always wanted to go, but never got there yet. You're not I'm, running a coach or anything No, like. I'm not. No, no. But the train... <laughs> Go, you get the train yeah. to Houston Station and there's complimentary buses from Houston right, right up into the oh, Phoenix Park because it's right beside it's right beside Houston okay and if anyone has any other you'd walk it send it Houston. on to us well you would maybe ah you would <laughs> Bit of a bit of a trick. <laughs> anyway, uh, if anyone's any any information on that, you might just send it in to us before uh, ten o'clock, if at all possible. We'll take a quick break. Back in a moment. Now you're very welcome back. Uh, let's come back to our questions, Porik. An interesting mix of stuff. House plants, aloe vera. Aloe vera um, yeah. 
I have an aloe vera plant and it was thriving but now it's a bit limp. It is like the liquid has gone down to the soil. What should I do? Asks Karen in Castlebar. Well, it sounds like it needs a good water. I'd say the I mean, water has not gone down into the soil. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have an aloe vera plant and we know I don't grow too much but it grows fine for me. Yeah, and they're very easy yeah. to grow. They're, they're a succulent as you know and they... They're full of they're full of, of moisture and full of um, liquid. And one of the indications when they need rewatering is is the, the leaves literally go limp. Um, it could also be that the plant needs a little bit of repotting. If if there's any sort of root damage on the plant, it would mimic uh, it needing water. Right. And so it may if it's in the same pot for a long time, it might just need to be repotted. Now that doesn't necessarily mean putting it into a bigger pot. You could simply take out the old aloe vera, take off any loose soil or loose compost around the base will kind of tease that out and repot it back into the same pot using fresh compost. Okay. So particularly if it's in a large pot, you know, if you've repotted mm. after a couple of years, aloe vera, like any succulent plant, dislikes huge amounts of space. So it doesn't like a big lump of a pot because the compost can get too wet and, and cause root problems. Yeah. So, and particularly if the, if the foliage has gone a bit purplish or reddish in colour, if you've lost the kind of green colour, it would be a sign that the plant would need to be Repotting, it's low in nutrition okay. and it just needs to move on. So repotting doesn't necessarily mean a big bigger pot. So if it's in a good size, maybe eight or nine inch pot, that's big enough for it, but just to change the compost. And if you are repotting it like that, you know, do you need to do anything with the roots when you kind no, of no, take just, the old soil off? You don't need to pull you, them out? Well, or? you can just kind of tease off any compost that will come away fairly easily, right. that will fall away or with a bit of... Uh, with a bit of loosening up that falls away, take that off by all means. So kind of get rid of any loose compost, get any rid of any compost that you can tease out mm. without doing any major uh, damage to the roots. Okay. And then and you know shake out the kind of the compost off the base of the of the root and then repot with fresh compost. And do different and, uh, do, do different aloe vera plants grow at different speeds? They do. Okay. So there's a whole range of different barbatus is the is the common aloe vera variety that people would use for cuts and bruises, yeah. got the long stems. Once you cut it, there's loads of of aloe vera of liquid gel, yeah. in, gel in the in the um, uh, in in the actual stems. So that's probably the best one. But there are loads of different dwarf varieties, and obviously the smaller varieties and less vigorous need smaller pots, less watering. Um, but they all need a bright location, a sun, somewhere bright and sunny, a windowsill preferably, yeah. south facing, so plenty of sun. And then allow, don't water until the leaves start to, to just nearly. kind of drop a lot slightly. So at this time of year, you'd water maybe once a fortnight or every three weeks. You're probably watering less than that. I'd say you? once every two months. Well, well do you know, it's, <laughs> Sorry, that, no. it's that sort of plant. <laughs> but it was a bit brown recently and I gave it a shot of water and now it's, it's all back, green again. Yeah. Again. And that's it. They, because they're a succulent, they store water so they can live for quite a long time Damn. without it. So it all depends on the heat of the room and yeah. how quickly they compost. But you're better ebbing on the side of underwatering because the plant will tell you when it needs watering it literally start to flop Okay. and as you said you put a bit of water on it it's back up again whereas I suppose if you risk over watering with something like that because I mean I always think of them you know you go to Portugal and places yeah. like that and that's where you see you them do. literally on the side Baked. of the road yeah. um, uh, but with a yeah if you overwater, you're risking r- rotting the roots that's really. exactly it yeah. and that could be the that could actually be the case in this it's, it's into instance because the rotting of the roots has the same uh, look oh, and effect okay. as if you're, the plant is getting no water because naturally it has lost half its roots so it's not taking okay. up enough moisture so it's showing that it's showing nearly the same symptoms even though 
it's you, the opposite exactly, is the cause exactly so I would be inclined to take it out of its, its container loosen out, loosen out the compost put in some fresh compost and be mindful then that obviously you've repotted with fresh compost so you want to cut back on the watering a little bit as well and aloe vera is a great plant to grow for people that are particularly gardeners that are getting cuts and bruises and scrapes look at my arms there the scrapes mm. and bruises and it's great for any kind of skin disorder it's fantastic uh, liquid you can literally just cut it off the plant just squeeze, squeeze it and rub it on and it, it gives an instant cure brilliant uh, now wisteria around an archway it grew four foot last year oh, and it died back now Jude new has. growth has uh, come on it again how do we look after it well wisteria it's it's a fast growing it's a deciduous climber mm. so it, it drops its leaves in November so that's perfectly natural it flowers on a spur system similar to apple trees so you treat it like an apple tree of all things Ooh. right so at this time of year when it's vigorously growing you take the twining stems and they need support so you need to wrap them in around trellis work or archwork or something that will wires or a tree or something that it can scramble up through. Remember it's a very vigorous climber so it, it needs space so it's not the type of thing that you're going to put up around your small front hall door. Mm. It needs a large wall a large space growing up through a conifer or through a hedge somewhere where it can really run and, and let it off. And the time to prune wisteria particularly once they start flowering is in the middle of the summer about the first week of July, you shorten back any whippy growth it makes. So if it makes four or five feet of growth this summer, shorten back that whippy growth by about uh, two thirds. Mm. So if it makes kind of six foot of growth, you'll take off three to four feet off that and cut it back in the middle of the summer, about the first week of July. The other thing is just to feed it with a high potash feed. So a rose fertilizer would be perfect to put on it. And, uh, and that's really it. Sometimes they can be shy to flower. So they take, it depends yeah. if they're a grafted variety or grown from seed, but they can take up to six or seven years to flower. So the main thing for the first number of years to get them growing, to have them shaped properly, do that little bit of summer pruning because that helps to bring them into flower early. But they're a relatively easy plant to grow, to be honest. Okay. There's no major... No major... No. no. What do we feed strawberries and daffodils that did not flower? What do we feed them with? Well, daffodils that aren't flowering are a sign that either they were cut back too early last year or that the clumps have got too large and that you need to divide them. So if they're in the same spot for maybe seven or eight years, dig them up now, transplant them somewhere else and split them up. And you can, in the in the original place, you can put down, you know, a handful of the bulbs back down again. So transplant them straight away. Liquid feed them with something like... Um, the Osmo actually do a very good one, universal food, Osmo Universal. It's an organic based liquid feed and that could be put on the daffodils now. Strawberries, you don't feed them till the fruit start to form. So they're flowering at the moment. So you leave them alone and wait till the fruit actually start to set on the plant. Right. Because if you feed them too much now, you get lots of leaf Green. at the expense of fruit. Right. So leave them alone really for about another two weeks. And once you see the form, the, the bees will be pollinating the flowers as we speak. Once that fruit starts to set, that's the trigger, start feeding them. And feed them about once every 10 days to two weeks. Again, with something like the Osmo liquid feed would be perfect. Now, Sarah tells us she was in bloom yesterday. Great. In most show gardens, she saw purple cow parsley and oh, yeah. raven's wing. Yeah. How would we propagate this? Well, you can propagate it from seed or you can propagate it by division. Um, and, and bloom is, you know, there's lots of, of plants like cow parsley, cultivated varieties, of course. Um, and, you know, things like foxgloves, lots of various different foxgloves. So they're using the kind of uh, common plants that we would see in the hedgerows or in, in the meadows. To What's raven's wing? It's just a variety. It's just oh, a particular okay. variety of, of uh, cow parsley. Oh, yeah, it's purple, purple flowers rather oh, than right. white. Okay. So it's just something different. 
um, something unusual, something a little bit more, more attractive, and, maybe. And there's picking up on the purples that you were talking about. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, so propagate from, from seed or from cutting, from uh, division. Okay. Roses are looking good and healthy a month ago, but now they appear to be dying. What might be the problem? Well, the, look at the weather, it's been just so cold and miserable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and many plants have been set back with, with, with May being so cold. Um, roses need nice, warm weather, the typical weather we, we should be getting in May and June. Yeah. So really, look, at there's nothing to do with them. Um, just if you've been feeding them and treating them with the rose clear, that's as much as you can do at the moment. They just need the heat really to respond. Though Those cold winds and hailstones, as you said, is just setting plants like that back. They're a little bit vulnerable to that. But look, at there's plenty of time for roses to flower. Okay. And um, so I would just leave them alone, continue to feed them once a month and put on the rose clear once a month. And that's as much you can do. Great. Geraldine is wondering, what's the name of the weed killer to kill weeds, but not the hedge? Not the hedge. Well, no, but, no, that one is gone. Premazer, okay. <laughs> it's gone off the market. Unfortunately, um, it depends what weeds are there. The probably the best thing to look at is to is to ring the garden centre, right. explain exactly what you're trying to do. There are there are uh, weed killers that you can use as long as you keep them off the foliage of your your laurel your laurel yeah, hedge yeah. or whatever hedge it is. So maybe give us a, a ring and see what exactly the the weed is, and we'll give you an appropriate product for it. And we are seeing a lot of Premazer was that weed killer that could be that was kind used. of for scotch grass and stuff like that. Wasn't well, it? it prevented weeds from growing, and yeah. unfortunately that that has gone. Well, fortunately oh. or unfortunately that's gone off the Part market. Part of the now. EU directive. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of those typical residual type weed killers disappearing. Um, so you know the garden hoe. The garden They'll hole. They'll never ban that. Yeah, no. And if you get a good hole, not joking, if you get a good hole, there's one one that I use myself from Wolf Tools, which has a blade on either side of the actual uh, head. And it's a fantastic, simple little tool that half an hour running around the garden, you'll scuffle out a huge amount of weeds, particularly on a sunny day. That's the right. time to do the hoeing. Yeah. Because you scuffle them and they die within a couple of hours. And you know, you'll do a large hedge within half an hour very, very quickly with a good garden hoe. So look for, and, and it's important to get the right one. The Wolf make a, I think it's a stainless steel. I have it for about 10 years. Fantastic little item. Right. And um, you'll, you'll scoot along uh, vegetable rows or in under the hedge or whatever. And the old garden hole will never be banned. <laughs> we, th- we, we think. <laughs> and it's still a f- very effective. Right. Dominic is wondering about a grapevine that's growing well, wondering does he need to trim it? Well, the main thing to do with grapevines at the moment is to train them. So you need to train them. They're very vigorous. You need to grow them in a tunnel or a large greenhouse. And again, ideally they want to be trained up the ridge bar. So have it right at the very top, going up maybe the wall, the side or the back mm. of the tunnel and then going up the very centre of the bar. And then train the side branches left and right. So you're, you're ending up with this kind of like a climber in all in, in all instance so a main stem up the 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 main run of the tunnel with the side stems trained down the side so start to train it now and um, get the shape right and really there's no pruning necessary till next spring okay two two quick ones to finish up two laburnum trees one doing well the other is stunted and isn't flowering says Miriam well laburnum the, I mentioned that they're in the pea family and the key mm. thing for laburnums is they need free draining soil so if they're in wet soil or 
very heavy soil, they won't do very well. The root structure needs a very dry free draining soil. My guess is that's the problem. I would leave it alone until November. I would dig it up that stage and transplant it somewhere else to a drier part of, of the garden um, because that will ho- certainly hold them back. Um, so the best laburnums are on free draining soil, bright location. Apart from that, they don't really suffer from pests and diseases. They're, they're quite easy to grow, but the soil conditions are important Good. for them. And finally, um, I hope I'm interpreting this correctly. Margaret is wondering, she has an apple tree. She'd like to take a slip and plant, uh, create another apple tree out of it. And she's then wondering, uh, will the two plants or the two trees uh, pollinate each other as such? No. Right. So you're you better need a separate one entirely. Yeah, you're better to go for a, if you want a very good variety to pollinate an apple tree. James Grieve is a, is an excellent variety, or Katie is a very good variety for pollinating other trees. You'll also find that a malus, the malus family, which are the crab apple family, mm. for example, in Bulmers in the cider, when they're producing the when they're growing the Bramley apples, mm. they bring in the wheel into the orchards the malus family. So malus is in the same family as an apple tree, but it's an ornamental tree. So there's a lovely variety called Rudolph which is red fruit. Red foliage and red fruit, a really nice variety. And uh, that, if you bring it into your, or plant it in your garden, will cross-pollinate with your apple tree and pollinate your the oh, current apple okay. tree. So it doesn't have to be an apple tree. No. So generally if you're planting apples we recommend a minimum of three different varieties to cross-pollinate or else introduce a crab apple or and you can introduce a crab apple as an ornamental tree in the garden and again the bees will work between the crab apple flowers and your apple tree. Lovely. We're going to have to leave it there. we let you shoot off so to bloom. If people are in bloom I'll be talking in the afternoon and also on Sunday Pete and I will be giving a couple of talks right through uh, Sunday, all day Sunday. Great. Well have a great weekend. Move in. And if you are going to bloom do enjoy uh, Porik will be back with us again next Saturday on the programme that's my lot for this morning as well Michael Neary is on the way next after the news at 10 which is coming along with Angelina Nugent from me for the moment good morning to you and enjoy the bank holiday